Humanity is growing and connecting. Tomorrow's world needs more energy from more places. But to find our net zero future, we must overcome the natural constraints of many new energy sources. This is the Low Carbon Solutions Podcast, where we look at the energy challenges of modern life and the innovators finding solutions. Join us for a low-carbon, high-energy conversation with your host, Joe Battier. This views of the host are his own and should not be viewed as those of any business, corporation, or government entity. Hello and welcome to the Low Carbon Solutions Podcast brought to you by AWS. I'm your host, Joe Battier. This is the show where we bring you low-carbon, high-energy stories from the people solving the energy challenges of modern life. As we get started here, I want to I want to read out a review that we got. This is from Stadler seven 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 seven. They say, "Incredible man leading this podcast. Genuinely knowledgeable about the subjects. Thank you very much for the review." Please remember, if you like this show, give it a five-star rating and leave us a review. As we get these reviews coming in, I'll be reading them on the air, so keep them coming in, and this helps us, helps us share these stories with a wider audience. Today, I am here with John Chappell of Block Apps. John is the Director of Business for Block Apps for the Energy Market. Before that, John had a very successful career working with multiple different companies such as Nelco, Zachary Industries, and others. These are large companies with with different focus areas. So John, can you tell me a little bit more about your background? No, uh, and thanks for having me today, Joe. Uh, So yeah, I started with Nelco straight out of uh, school. I used to be a chemist, uh, so I started... uh, Early on, uh, working actually at the Nalco plant down in Sugarland as a as a chemist, and went from there, and really uh, just grew with them, and went out and began to work in the field, predominantly in the refining world, and uh, then had some uh, other really great opportunities where I actually worked for construction companies, and began to build refineries and petrochemical plants. So, I had a really successful journey, and really just right at two years ago. Uh, it was a good, good time for me to look around and make a good change. And I came across an ad about uh, them needing somebody with oil and gas expertise uh, to promote a new technology, blockchain technology for the enterprise. And so I was very excited and, and began to really ask some questions. And uh, after about six weeks of conversations, I uh, joined uh, the BlockApps team in August of 2019. That is, that's very cool. So you, you originally were a chemist and then went into designing and building the refineries and the, the chemical plants, and then ultimately ended up helping with the technology development that I guess is, is now used in, in those kind of large scale processing plants. Yeah, so blockchain technology, especially at the enterprise level, is still very uh, new technology. And uh, we have a number of customers out there using it in production today. And we also have a number of uh, uh, early adopters just doing some uh, testing, uh, proof of concept, some MVP work. And so as I kind of would go on today, I'll kind of mention those as it kind of fits in. But uh, yeah, it was just an opportunity to really bring an exciting new technology that I believe 
is a game changer in terms of being able to really help the oil and gas energy really become more interconnected. I mean, as we go on, uh, no one in the oil and gas world really works in a silo. Uh, everybody has the need to share data. Every property in the Permian, every fuel rack along the uh, ship channel, uh, they're all working together. Uh, the, the super majors work together. Uh, the, the midstream guys share capacity. And so there's this need to really uh, just be connected and share this data. And, uh, and I believe this technology for the first time really brings a way to share data securely in real time across all these multiple parties and provide the provenance that you need to really understand that that's the right data that you're getting. And so it was just a, a really exciting opportunity. And so uh, it's been a really exciting journey this uh, last two years. Uh, in particular, it was really interesting uh, as I'm just uh, making contacts and, and talking to my network that uh, we had a use case, uh, or actually a project, uh, around helping a company track CO2. They had developed a cogeneration unit about as big as a refrigerator and it ran on natural gas they had a high efficiency very low emission natural gas engine and it was designed to provide all of the electricity for the common areas in a building as well as uh, deliver all the hot water and so what it is is you're able to put this now in the mechanical room and it would replace whatever you know, utilities that you had. So you couldn't control maybe what you were getting over the grid, but now you could control the carbon footprint. And uh, this initially rolled out in New York City where they have uh, some goals about the buildings being carbon neutral by 2025. And they found that in their study that for New York City, buildings accounted for over 50% of all the emissions. And so they tackled, you know, the old, 80-20 rule, they wanted to tackle that first. And so this technology came in. And then so what we did with our technology is supported the cogeneration unit. We collected data off the machine. We helped them do the calculations. We were able to establish a baseline of what the utilities were early on in that building. And then the delta was the reduction in the carbon footprint of the building. So let's, let's take a, a step back. The technology behind block apps, that is blockchain technology. Can you, because I'm, I'm a geologist, I'm subsurface. When I think of a block, I think of the blocks that we make granite, granite pillars out of or something, something like that. So what is blockchain technology? No, great, Joe. Uh, super good question. And so let me start by saying what it's not. And so when we talk about enterprise uh, blockchain, it's not associated with Bitcoin or Ether or all the things you may see in the media nowadays. What it is, though, it is the underlying technology that they use for cryptocurrency. So blockchain, it's a technology that's a network. It's also a database or a ledger. It's completely decentralized and it's verifiable and we do that with cryptography to make all this stuff uh, verifiable to establish a single uh, source of truth and to really bring trust to the data that you get from the other parties on the network. Hmm. 
That is, that's fascinating that it is this, it's a network that it, it really does sound like a continuous ledger of, of data. And so when we talk about using this blockchain technology, you gave the example earlier of a, of a CO2 tracking, tracking application here, application of the technology. Um, how, I guess that would be, that's really interesting when we talk about decarbonization because the whole idea of decarbonizing is reducing your CO2 emissions as, as you pointed out. It is figuring out what you were using before and then what you're using now, calculating the difference. That seems like this scenario is one generation unit compared to the grid. But today we're talking about decarbonization of, of companies, large scale companies, ExxonMobil, Chevron, BP, they're talking about net zero by 2050 or 2070. How would something like block apps uh, be incorporated there? No, uh, excellent question. And I'll kind of go, I'll touch back on that use case a little bit to kind of to kind of tell you the journey that we're on and uh, what we've been doing to really help them address those issues is as, as I was presenting the blockchain technology and our Strato platform and doing it just in a general uh, context, right out a year ago now, people would stop when I would just go through the places we were using it. We're using it in the agricultural world. We have a, a large project that's been in production with Bear Crop Sciences uh, as well as others. Uh, we have a uh, another company on that same ag network, uh, Genesis Beef, that tracks uh, cow-calf operations, and so uh, as well as farmers and uh, distributors. And so I would share that use case, and then I began to share some others, and I would share this use case that we have, or this project we have in New York. And then a year ago, people stopped me. Whoa, let's talk about that. And it very quickly became apparent that people, that was the single thing that really became important to the people I talked to at the oil and gas companies uh, here in town, as well as the different uh, energy folks. And because they had all started making these commitments that you referred to, these, these new challenges. And they, they had been out there in, a, in the past, but it seemed to take on a new sense of urgency here the last 12 months. Maybe a function of the pandemic, people focus on more things, but whatever those reasons are, it really became a, a key driver. And they said, wow, so help me understand how this can help us. How can I scale from a seven kilowatt cogeneration unit now to all of my assets in the Permian or in the Gulf of Mexico or, or my refinery on the ship channel? And so we began to really help build that message and begin to... Uh, take the learnings we've had uh you know we've uh, uh, been real successful with uh, uh, several projects we had early on uh, we've done some uh, tracking projects for bhp billeton uh, we did work with uh, ticketmaster on fraud hmm. cases uh, i mentioned the bear crop sciences uh, and so we took the knowledge of all these and they are really all boiled down to being able to have verifiable traceability and sharing data across this ecosystem. And so 
we took our learnings, we took the uh, project there, and we began to realize that blockchain technology could be instrumental in really helping them take the very first step in their journey. Because what I've heard time and time and time again from uh, the people that I talk to is it's a data problem. They, hmm. they, they don't know where the data comes from. They don't know the provenance. They, as it gets rolled up, these companies still use spreadsheets. They, they have modules in their ERPs and their environmental programs, but oftentimes what, I'm under, what I understand is is a number gets put in there. Mm. Yep. How was it calculated? Where did it come from? What methodology do you use? Was it an estimate based off of historical data from 2015? Mm -hmm. uh, do you have uh, some uh, instrumentation on site? And, or is it maybe direct IoT yep. uh, data? And so really what, what we're doing, and, and as I mentioned, kind of what the advantages of the blockchain are, you know, it's this decentralized network. It's this ledger that, that really begins to connect, you know, the blocks of data so you see what it is. And so that's really what, what, we've, what we're developing here is the ability for everybody to share their data. And sometimes it may be sharing data across divisions in a very large company but it also can be sharing data with all the different people in your ecosystem. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, if you start talking about, uh, if you look back to uh, how the greenhouse gas protocol kind of divides up a company's emissions, they talk about scope one emissions being the emissions that you're directly responsible for. Uh, an easy example is your corporate office. You know, what's the footprint of your corporate office or your company-owned uh, car fleet. Your scope two emissions are the emissions associated with all the energy that you purchase. So here in town, you know, it's, you know, uh, if you buy from NRG or, mm -hmm. or whoever. So what did, I mean, do you have a hundred percent wind energy or is it a combination? So what is that footprint of your energy that you buy? Mm -hmm. And then scope three is where it gets really complex. That is the footprint associated with every partnership you have, every vendor you have, what the impact is as your product goes to the next person uh, downstream, if you will, uh, in the ecosystem. And so to really truly have a, a comprehensive footprint for your company's, uh, you know, the, a comprehensive footprint of their carbon of their carbon you, use. Use, you really need to have scope one, scope two, and scope three. And so now you can imagine the feat. Uh, think about a typical, even just a mid-sized oil and gas company, how many vendors they have on the books. Mm -hmm. Yeah, vendors, wells, what they use to get to those wells. It is, it is, it is almost mind-boggling to think about actually calculating your your true full footprint and even it it almost sounds like similar to life cycle analysis except for the actual company and i remember way back during during school when i would do life cycle analyses this was a it was with a a database called simapro 
it was a a massive at that time it, it i guess back then it was massive something around 100 gigabytes of data and it basically had the the calculated carbon footprint for for just about any type of engineering equipment you could think of so you could go from installing a one and a half megawatt wind turbine giving it a 20-year lifespan and saying where in the country it was and where you were going to going to dispose of it and you could calculate a full life cycle analysis on that but this sounds like it is a a comparable thing except real-time data and continually updating that data and it's it's absolutely what it is because there's a recent article uh, put out by the World Economic Forum about how we really need to look at this thing in the full life cycle, especially for the oil and gas community. And that they had six areas of focus. And in the top two, where they believe uh, direct carbon capture is, is going to be very important in how we get there. Hmm. And the second is real or direct granular access to the data to mm. understand the problem. And so that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to help you with the very first step because you don't know where to invest. You don't know where to fix until you really have this holistic view uh, of the data. Where, where's the good data? Where's the bad data? You know, no, we don't guarantee the data is good. All we do is we assure that you have full provenance on where the data came from, mm -hmm. you know, some yeah, guy named Steve can still just type in a number, <laughs> but he's going to have to add the, the proof, what his methodology was. And then, and the beautiful thing is, is when you can now take this data set and begin to use these simulations like you referred to, or leverage any of the cloud, they all have these, you know, extensive data analytics and, and BI tools. So now you can have this wonderful data set that you can use and leverage those tools now and they can help you find where you need to work on. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's really fascinating to think about. Do you have an example of, cause what, what I'm envisioning once you have the full data line there and the, I guess the entire, the entire carbon footprint of the company, you can find those areas that are just far and away, I guess a larger emitter of carbon. And you can immediately attack, tackle those, as you said with this, with this previous example in New York City. It was obvious electricity was the primary use case. Let's make a let's utilize a low carbon emission electricity. So that was the accounting of the entire entire system have you seen your accounting of of another system find areas where i guess there's low-hanging fruit to decarbonize yeah i mean we've seen a number of areas to help uh companies begin to identify as we've seen the the data begin to flow through one that's a, a super hot topic and we can't really have a conversation about oil and gas and emissions without mentioning methane mm -hmm. and methane flaring so there's a tremendous uh, opportunity as more and more companies now begin to put the IoT devices actually in the field to measure that stuff directly versus using historical data that's estimates and based on, you know, today's run rates, 
I'll, I'll do a calculation to compare it to what the 2017 data said, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. says. And so we're really, uh, we, we, we've seen some areas there and we continue to think that'll be one of the, one of the big things uh, that, that, that come out of this. Is, and that's one of the very early areas that we see. But the truth is, it's just, it's just all over. Uh, uh, we have a, uh, a project that will be announced here in about uh, four to six weeks that we're really now beginning to help companies match with offsets and people who need the offset. So here's an offset project, uh, uh, and then they will match it with a company who needs to have an offset. And then, again, our technology does all the verification. It keeps this complete provenance, and it really shows you what the, what the traceability is. And so uh, that's an exciting uh, project that we have coming up as well. So. And again, this is just another wrinkle on this thing. And, and really, what, we, what we're building right now is, is a network that we really just provide, if you will, the, real, the, the, base, the base technology. Mm-hmm. And really, because it's a decentralized network, it's the, it's the folks that are on the network who really begin to own it. And they yeah. begin to decide how to share data, where to share data, yeah, and those type yeah. of things. And so we're not, we're not putting you in a box and saying, here's this application. It's got seven blanks on the screen. You need to fill it out just like this. We give you the framework. And so we're, uh, what we're developing is uh, standards or methodology agnostic. Okay. If, if you want to use and reference an EPA methodology, that's fine. You put it in there and that becomes part of your provenance. Mm-hmm. If you have, your company has a proprietary calculation with you using a number of direct measurements and estimates, then you put that in there. But it, you just now have this clear path, whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds, it sounds like that's one of the things that's almost necessary at this stage. So I'm curious with, with all of that, you've been saying IoT, Internet of, of Things, and you mentioned cloud. So is this something that, I guess, what, what do you really need in order to run something like block apps, like this blockchain ledger of all of this data? No, that's a great question. So really, uh, an implementation is pretty straightforward. We have... Uh, built all the the main building blocks out for you. And really it's about just adapting your business processes and doing the integrations. We have found that most companies have the data sitting somewhere. And then so just the very nature of our platform, which is called Strato, uh, at its core is a RESTful API, which really allows very easy, straightforward integration to other uh, systems, whether it's your legacy ERP, uh, whether it's to your edge computing, IOT devices, you know, actually in the field, uh, uh, you can then begin to get that data. So it's not a manual thing. It's, it's, it all becomes uh, automated and it, it really mm-hmm. becomes uh, very nice. You get this stuff in real time. And there's a piece of technology uh, that's kind of the core of, uh, blockchain technology is called the smart contract. You hear this word thrown out a lot, but, but really what a smart contract allows is for you to take 
an asset. In this case, we approach uh, with what we're doing in the, in the CO2 world and helping people track it, we look at the CO2 emission or offset and we convert it to a digital asset that sits now on the blockchain. And the smart contract helps you now create that digital asset. And so just like in regular accounting, you know you have certain things are liabilities and certain things are, you know, are positive. And so that's the same thing that we do uh, with this. And so you begin to, once you have this digital asset created, then you can begin to, again, track its provenance, where it came from. You can begin to divide it. Let's say that you did work for three other companies. Then you can divide that digital asset in thirds and you can assign that footprint to them. If you have an offset that you've done, let's say you've done some, uh, uh, that you've done some uh, reforestation project. You can now, you can declare how many acres it was. You can use a combination of satellite data, direct imaging, whatever you use to verify the carbon capture of that reforestation project, mm -hmm. it generates an offset or a, you know, a negative CO2 emission, if you will. And then that comes on the, onto the blockchain as a digital asset. And you now have that, you can combine it with one and essentially make a carbon neutral step, yeah. if you will. Uh, and so then that, that goes on, or you can uh, package it uh, with it, go along. I think, you know, we've seen in the news, uh, I know uh, Oxy announced about three months ago that they did a very large 2 million uh, barrel shipment that they carbon neutralized mm -hmm. uh, and uh, to a customer in India. And so, again, they were able to leverage that and they referenced uh, blockchain technology as a way to provide that. That proof. That, that proof and that verifiable. Neutral. So they could see here are the different offsets. Here's what, you know, here's the profile of the barrel of oil and do that. And we've seen that. We've seen Chenier made the announcement that they're going to begin to use cargo emission tags for all of their shipments. Uh, you know, and it's just, it's just becoming, it's just becoming more and more of a, uh, a thing that we're seeing in our industry and it's already yeah. been in the consumer world for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's kind of like it earlier, there was a, a comparison of tomatoes that I heard. You've got your, your red tomatoes that are, that are there at the supermarket. You've got your organic tomatoes that are certified organic through the FDA. And in the future, you'll have your green tomatoes that are certified carbon neutral, green, safe for the environment tomatoes that are, that are, and I guess they would need some type of smart contract and proof that they are in fact green. Yeah. If, if I can take that, uh, uh, analogy one step further, uh, some of the conversations we've had is how to drive value uh, to a barrel of oil. Mm -hmm. If you wanted to buy a barrel of oil right now, you'd log on what's WTI and it gets shipped to your house and you pay the, the going price. Yep. A lot of these companies are figuring out, well, how can I get 10% more, 20% more, 30% mm -hmm. more for my barrel of oil? What, what value can I do? And one of the things we're talking about is, is decarbonizing that barrel of oil. And to go to your to your example about tomatoes, uh, the one that, uh, that I've heard uh, discussed and, and used is, uh, is going to Bucky's to buy gas. Hmm. If you've been to any of the new ones, there's the, 
the giant island. They're stacked four people deep, but it's got ethanol in it. Mm-hmm. Then off to the side, the newer ones now have eh, 30, 40 pumps, maybe less, of ethanol-free gas. Yep. And there's a premium to that, right? And mm-hmm. these guys are stacked up now. To your green tomato, how much longer will it be when Bucky's can put a, a third island that's carbon neutral? Yeah. That now this, and then there's a QR code on the pump. Hmm. You scan it and you can see the provenance. And, and if, if when the network is, is mature, it can go back and says, it looks like the bulk of this oil came from the Permian. It was offset by this wind power, this reforestation product project, this carbon capture project. And so the effect is, is when you use that gasoline in your car, you now, or, you know, it, it becomes, even though there are emissions, they've been offset yeah. along the way. And so there's a premium for that. So now there's a business advantage to having this complete provenance. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that value of the product is something I've, I've been hearing about and, and have discussed in, in other, other areas, me being in geothermal, that's one of those things that if you make the direct comparison of a barrel of geothermal water compared to a barrel of oil, the, the value on that barrel of water is only for the amount of energy it has is only a couple of cents which is why you need 50,000 plus barrels of water a day in order to make an economic project. But the, but the value that you have, that value of the energy, because it is, it is low carbon to, to carbon-free emissions, depending on what type of system you use, the baseload nature of it compared to something like wind or solar, those those pieces the the argument is that those pieces have some type of value and it is how do you incorporate that into the product you're selling and it sounds like something like blockchain would be would be a way to really figure out how you how you value the product that you're ultimately selling no, a- absolutely. And again, it, it really gets to be, it, it gets to this, this point where you leverage the blockchain technology and it really provides this trust, this single source of truth, and this complete provenance. I mean, you can begin to see what happened at step one all the way through. Uh, we've, uh, we've, we've done a project that'll be, again, rolled out here shortly uh, uh, for a subsidiary of a, of a large EMP company and uh, what they're working on is this uh, leveraging blockchain technology to kind of be this tag at the end uh, and the test data we used during our uh, our pilot was a barrel of oil all the way to a box of uh, Legos and, hmm. and how to track that data and then assign a, a carbon intensity if you will to a box of Legos and so hmm. Again, the thought is it brings more value. You know, we talked about early on that everything is interconnected right now, and it, not only globally, but, but within the oil and gas world. And there's so many surveys out there and opinion polls that people are willing to pay a premium for transparency. Mm-hmm. Yep. And again, that's the, and you, you talked about the business value. 
right? So, all right, you know, it's part of it's all right, great. I can see my data better, but now there's actually there's actually a business proposition here. You bring this transparency, you improve consumer trust. Uh, to your point earlier, if you begin to have you begin to harmonize your data and break down those silos, you can begin to understand where you need to invest, which investment is not working, which investment is really working. I need to, you know, scale that more. And you can, you know, again, it really begins, it really gets back to this data thing. You really need to understand your data, get your arms around it, harmonize it, understand its provenance. And then you can begin to make those good decisions about how to reach your goals and sustainability. Yeah. So I am curious, the one thing we haven't really talked about is deep decarbonization. And when we talk about, I guess when I'm talking about deep decarbonization, I'm talking about reducing the, the carbon footprint of either a product or of your electricity by greater than 50%, trying to get to that 80 to 90% range. Now, how... How would would blockchain technology work into something like that? Is this really because we've been talking about baseline data? I'm curious, is there a way to to go beyond that with with the blockchain? No, no absolutely. And, and our opinion right now is it really starts with the baseline data to get the to get the feel for it. But but what you do is you really start talking about that deep carbonization is. As you get your arms around the data set, you can begin to refine the data set. And then you really can think of it as a, as a cycle of continuous improvement. Hmm. Again, uh, you know, if you think about it in terms of, uh, of, of our world, you have uh, the exploration piece, you have the, the transport, you know, all the, the midstream folks, then you have the refineries, then you have the petrochem, then you have the consumer. And so, great, we, cut, we collect the initial baseline stuff so we know where we're at. But then we begin to really monitor in detail each of those steps and then all the sub-steps associated with it. And you begin to get this real-time thing. And very, in very short order, what you get is now a new lever, if you will, in your product world. You know, mm -hmm. You remember the, big, the the quality movement of the uh, the 80s and 90s, you know. So we, or somebody has a quality knob. Everybody's yeah. got a productivity knob, and so now I think that blockchain technology will be key in providing a carbon knob where mm -hmm. you can really begin to do this. We've uh, begun work with a lot of the different digital twin companies okay. that are out there, and we've uh, working with them to layer our blockchain kind of underneath that to create that provenance and so we really see that's really where the the next step is 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 we think we are a key piece to that that lever that knob that really helps you control uh you know what you're doing uh understanding how to decarbonize let's say that you're a company and you're collecting your data on this and so uh, you want to you you look at corporate air travel mm -hmm. and, and you say all right well right now i'm at a 10 and then and you know you're a 10, you understand where the data come from, you can now look at another vendor. This other vendor is maybe airline B is way ahead of the game. They've got mm -hmm. sustainable aviation fuels and they've got this. And you say, well, man, I know now that if I switch our corporate 
allegiance to court, to airline B, I connect the 10 down to a seven, yeah. down to a five, but it provides that, that confidence in what you're doing there. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and that's really what you need and, and why you need that data. Because if, if you don't, if you don't have that baseline to know where you're, where you're coming from and where you could go, I think it, it, you don't really have a comparison. You need that starting point and the end point. Hey, it's Mark LaCour, Editor-in-Chief here at OGGN. Sorry for interruption, but I wanted to bring up a few quick things for September. First, our happy hour. If you don't know this, our happy hours are usually last Thursday of each month here in Houston, unless there's a holiday, and this month is no different. It's going to be Thursday, September 30th at the Canyon. Our happy hours are much more than a social event. Our happy hours include a learning component, very strong networking, food and drinks, and then most importantly, the money that we raise goes to fight human sex trafficking. So by you showing up at our happy hours and participating, you're helping us fund the fight. So thank you. Then we have a new show, our Low Carbon Solution Show. It is awesome. Uh, it's very pro-oil and gas. At the same time, we're also exploring low-carbon solutions. And if you don't know this, besides the podcast you're listening to right now, we have 14 other podcasts for your listening pleasure. You can find them all at OGGN.com or any place that you download and listen to podcasts. Then finally, if you want to do something different, if you want to play a role with us here at OGGN, maybe have a little bit of fun, join the OGGN Street Team on LinkedIn. Just go search for OGGN street team sign up it's completely free to you it's our all-volunteer group doing really cool stuff such as reading pro oil and gas books to elementary school kids yes you heard me right we are helping educate our world's young people on the pros of oil and gas on the advantages of the fact that hydrocarbon is the most uh, valuable molecule to mankind we're doing that why don't you come help us with that and if you don't want to help us with that maybe you can help us with our social media or being a part of our press team or 101 other things but we can't do anything unless you sign up at LinkedIn so go do it right now hopefully this was not too much of an interruption I will see you again next month things I'll mention is, you know, uh, going back to our conversations and, and really as we began to, uh, to really build out uh, a solution around, uh, you know, carbon tracking is one of the most interesting things that happened was at least three different times with super majors, we were having meetings and, uh, and they shared that they were cutting their emission reduction estimates by as much as 50% because they had so little faith in their data. They didn't have the faith that if it were audited, that it would, it would prove out that they didn't get the data. And so, you know, it, data is their challenge. And so wow. again, so think about, think about the implications of that. A, they're, they're doing a lot more than they can take credit for, but B, they may be missing out on opportunities because Where they can you know, make a difference. Yeah, the, the money may be going to the wrong spot yep. uh, instead of the right spot. So it's uh, so there's just that's really our approach. And, you know, and, and we feel that uh, that our network will grow with them. It'll start with the getting the baseline data and really helping this complex ecosystem share this data. Mm-hmm. You know, our technology uh, because of what we have put into to our platform is. Uh, we're able to literally share, if you can envision it, like a, a single cell of a massive spreadsheet 
-hmm. is what we can secure. So if I need to, excuse me, if I need to share G17 with blockchain technology, I can share just that one. And I still have my data set that's that and proprietary, but I can securely uh, share just that that data with you. And so it's, again, it's, it's, there's all the cryptography around it and behind it. But so now we take away the, the fear of data sharing. You share just the data that you need to with your partners, your vendors or whomever, and you still have your data set, but you still have now a network that you've developed that, that the industry owns, if you will. Yeah. And, uh, you're not, you're not led by somebody who thought they had, you know, this and they put you in a box and you have to work yeah. through it. And so, Again, that's one of our things. You know, there's no more clearing houses. One thing blockchains do is everybody's not putting their data into a central repository and then hmm. getting it out. You, you, you're just sharing directly with the people you need to. You know, right now, some of the challenges are uh, if a company wants to share data electronically, they've got to make a connection. I make yeah. a connection to you. That's one. Well, now I have to make another connection. Here, you just make one connection to the network. Hmm. then the network handles the rest of it. Hmm. So there's a lot of advantages. You know, one of the really neat things uh, that some of the listeners may, may, may comment on is uh, there's a lot of press about blockchain technology being super carbon intensive mm-hmm. uh, because of all the energy. They, you hear these words like mining, yeah. proof of work. One of the nice things uh, about Strato is, is that's not how we do our blockchain. We use a different consensus mechanism, and when we run on carbon-neutral clouds, then our solution is essentially a carbon-neutral solution. So we don't have the challenges or or the the bad press, if you will, associated with uh, some of these folks that are talking about you know gajillions of gigawatts of power to to mine for crypto. So that's yeah. one that, so not only are we a great solution to help you with your carbon footprint, but we're also a carbon neutral. Doing something about yours. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, we've done something about ours as well, so we use it. So I am curious, with with your background, you've got lots of experience in these large companies. I'll ask one question, then a, then a follow-up. So with that, how siloed, with your previous experience, say something like a, like a super major, like ExxonMobil, who goes from upstream to midstream to downstream, like even though they cover the entire oil and gas industry, how how much was there communication between each of those different groups? My experience in working with the super majors has been that 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 they are that they they have challenges commuting across, you know, usually. In their areas of expertise, you know, the refining group does a good job and stuff like that. So I think that there are challenges, and we've been told that, that they have challenges internally. Uh, and it kind of runs the gamut of the, of the companies we've talked to. Some have a, and, and the data you're talking about is that scope one data mm-hmm. uh, from the greenhouse gas protocol. It's really the, the data that, that they are in charge of right there. Yep. And we found some companies have a pretty good handle. They've broken down those silos and have a pretty good handle, and others are still struggling. We've heard one anecdotal story where one division found some blanks in the ERP and just mm. typed in carbon numbers, the blanks were for something else. And they just sent an email to the sustainability people and said, hey, my data's here. 
you know, and wow. I, 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 now anecdotal, I, I don't know if it's true, but these are kind of the stories that, that we're told, yeah. uh, you know, uh, and the challenges again, I, I've heard, uh, recent from other folks that, that, uh, a lot of the work is done on spreadsheets mm-hmm. and then just summaries are rolled up. Hmm. So there's provenance there, but you have to yeah. really, it's a struggle to make the link. Yeah. Because, you know, 10 guys give spreadsheets to one person, that person rolls it up. There's 10 of those managers who roll it up again. Yeah. And I think this is, this is really a, this is a great use case because with the, with the kind of lack of communication previously, specifically talking about now carbon emissions, now, as you get a baseline data, now there there can be communication and and if there is something that that the upstream side can do that the refining the refining has has solutions for it's very easy to look at that from from the top down and say hey you guys have this this large emission that we need to clean up and clearly the refining group doing the same process has a lower emission you need to go talk to them Absolutely. It, 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 it's, it's that kind of thing. It's because these guys are global, they'll have operations that are regulated emissions mm-hmm. in one section. Uh, you know, we're over here, we're still a lot of voluntary. And so there's different methodologies with meth- which, which methodology is more accurate, which one's mm-hmm. better. You know, and so we account for those things. We have confidence factors built in. So if you know you have a low confidence data coming in, you can flag it hmm. at the very beginning and, and, and kind of adjust for it. So you, so you kind of know that, uh, yeah. you know, we're working with, uh, uh, I mentioned one partner is, is working with us to build some other applications on, on top of our network around, uh, the labeling piece. We have another one, uh, who's working on helping fill the gaps in, in the ecosystem, you know, the blockchain really is most successful as the ecosystem builds out. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we know that there's challenges in, in you know, you, getting 12 people in a room to agree on something is, it, it, you know. It's always it's, difficult. Yeah. So sometimes we start with three or four. And so uh, one of our partners is bringing in some cool technology to help fill those gaps in using public data and okay. and some really cool AIs to really begin to build uh, make the, the blockchain and the information, the provenance robust right out the gate. Uh, so we have just a, a lot of exciting things going on. It's going to be a very uh, exciting uh, uh, end of uh, third quarter, fourth quarter for us as a lot of these projects really get released to the public and, and, and kind of become common knowledge. So Yeah, yeah, yeah that sounds really cool. So I've got a, a few more, a few more uh, semi-related questions. Sure. What is the most important book you've ever read? Honestly, I think it's the uh, Horatio Hornblower series by C.S.S. Lewis. Uh, there's a plethora of leadership books and how to run things, and I've never seen a better example of Horatio Hornblower growing up as a kid and the leadership. He leads mm-hmm. by example. He does it from the front. He listens. Uh, every time I start a new job, I actually read the books again as, as a mm-hmm. refresher and kind of get me motivated and and break my bad habits that, that always hmm. tend to get lazy and form. So yeah, I would say, uh, uh, that's probably in, uh, one of the most influential books for me. Very good. 
I'll add it to the list. Next question, when will we be net zero as a society? Oh, wow. It's a very hot topic right now. So, My opinion is that we're quite a ways away. I, I, you know, I see the things, you know, if you think about three months ago, Blue hydrogen was all the rage. Then there was an article that came out two Very weeks ago. Very difficult to make. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, it's crazy. And now they say, well, blue hydrogen's actually 20% more impactful in terms of CO2 than just burning the natural gas. And it's like, okay, well, that one, that one was promising, and now it's, it's, yeah. it, it's gone. So as I look at numbers, I know it's not popular to say, I think nuclear's got to come back into the equation hmm. at some point. If you look at the emissions of power, it's, I think it's at the bottom of the list. Uh, and we still have some other challenges, uh, you know, electric cars, but they still need energy to charge them. And there's, then there's the rare earth metals to make the batteries and yeah. mining. Is it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of moving parts that still need to be figured out. On top of that, things like figuring out the scope one, scope two, scope three emissions of all of these processes. So I think it's a, it is a, a, it is good to set goals and then figure out how to get there. I think we are, it seems like nobody's wanting to talk about how we actually get there though. And, and I think that's the, that's the part that we need to start in in earnest if we expect to hit net zero by 2050 or or even 2100 no i no i don't disagree and it just it hurts your head because as soon as you think about you have one solution then you look at the what it took to get that solution then you're like oh Mm -hmm. it's just you know i think more than anything else i think what at least for me my take-home message it is global warming man-made is it not I, i I, I don't have I don't have the bandwidth to decide that. What I do know is that we need to be good stewards of what mm-hmm. we have. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so I think being a good steward is not pumping out a gajillion tons of CO two. I think a good steward is when we can use renewable things. Let's let's let let's do that. I mean, I needed to buy new tennis shoes of late, and because of all this stuff. I actually bought a pair of Allbirds, and they come with hmm. a certificate. And my lifetime impact is 8.5 kilos of CO2 equivalents for the lifetime of the shoe. So, you know, it turns out it's a really uncomfortable shoe, but <laughs> which was even which is like a, even yeah. nicer. But but I made a conscious decision to do that. You know, we yeah. joked about Bucky's having a carbon neutral gas pump. I I believe that people are ready to do their part in, yep. in doing that. So I think for me, it's really about being a good steward, mm-hmm. setting goals, obviously. Let's try these technologies, but I think it's just really about taking care of what we've been given. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So last question is whatever you actually want to ask me. So do you have a question for me? Do I have a question for you? You know, uh, only because of kind of how we started, I, I, I mentioned to, to Joe when we first started that we have another project, not carbon related, but around uh, seismic and seismic data and entitlement. So 
it'd be nice to kind of uh, pick your brain about uh, some of that world and what you've done there and, and some of the challenges there is we kind of, we have our group of people that we're working with that maybe a third party uh, around seismic entitlements and the craziness that, that that is out there. Yeah. So as far as I guess seismic entitlements, I am going to take a, a different stance in terms of answering the question. So working right now, I, I am, with a, a small R&D startup called PetroLearn. We, we focus on technology and building solutions to solve complicated problems, primarily geomechanics, geothermal, uh, carbon sequestration. And the number one issue, I would say the number one issue that we have run into, we have a lot of great ideas and not enough data to test them. So when it comes to something like, like seismic entitlement or, or the, the title and the, the, the use of that, I think that they're, and coming from an academic background before that, I, I really think data is one of those things that, that should be, whenever possible, publicly available. And seismic being as as valuable as it is for geoscience, I think that there needs to be more of it for, for just figuring out what we can do with it. Because that's one of the, the best large scale, highest resolution data sets we can collect without drilling holes. Yeah. So we, we really, and there's a lot of really cool processing techniques that are being developed but there's some companies that have been working on the same same techniques for 20 plus years, and it's because they only get one or two data sets to work on it until they they end up with a with a with a contract, and then they get one more that they get to work on for six months, and then they move on. So I think it's I think as much data as possible should be publicly available. I know that that's. That's a not a straight answer, but no, no, that's good. Now it's, I'm I'm learning that as well. So, if there's a way to to wrap that in a a, I guess a a timeline, almost like a copyright or a trademark to the data, where after 20 years or after, I mean for for drilling, you have to submit a well log, and after two years, it has to it becomes public data. So for seismic, maybe if there's something like that after five years or 10 years, it becomes publicly available. And up until then, it's, it's purely whoever, whoever paid for it all. Yeah. But I digress. So where can people find you and where can people find more about BlockApps? Uh, BlockApps.net is our website. Uh, so you can find a lot of information there. My contacts there. You can reach me at uh, chapel, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L, at blockapps.net. Uh, I'm a resident here of Houston, so I'm around, and this is where I, I work. So, yeah, I'd love to talk to anybody. Has any more questions, reach out. Uh, love to visit. All right. Well, thank you for, for coming on here and, and talking with me today. It was really interesting hearing about block apps and blockchain technology and, and really the, the full cycle carbon, carbon um, I guess, monitoring and, and accounting. 
Thank you, everybody, for joining us on this episode of the Low Carbon Solutions Podcast. If you want to hear more great stories from the energy industry, please connect with us and with OGGN on LinkedIn or visit us at OGGN.com. If you are in the Houston area, I encourage you to come check out the Canon. The, this is where we host our monthly happy hours and where I work when I'm in Houston. Mention OGGN for a free day pass. And until next time, remember to keep it low carbon and high energy. Join us again next week for another low-carbon, high-energy story on the Low Carbon Solutions Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.